Amen. Morning. All right, you in the presence of God already? We're here. He's here. Amen. We're going to jump right in this morning. You ready? All right, it's a new year. And we kicked off last week. You know, Romans 15, 13 says this. Now the God of hope fill you full with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. Now let me read you the rest of that chapter here. And this is what I believe the mandate on me is from the Lord right now during this season we're preaching. It says, you know, in uh, Romans 15... Verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And verse 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with the knowledge and competent instructing one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God's given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty to proclaim the gospel of God. So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We're in a series right now that that's what I believe God's telling me. This is going to be a year of hope. It's awesome. I'm pumped about it being a year of hope. But you need to understand, the only reason why you need hope is because there would be times that you're going to feel like there is no hope. I'm not saying this is going to be a good, easy, but what I'm saying is, no matter what happens in 2021, we have a God of hope. And He's willing to pour out, the Bible, I believe the Lord told me, He poured out enough hope in our lives to fill us full of joy and peace. So I'm pumped about this year. I have no idea what's going to happen this year. I have no idea what the enemy's going to bring about, but I can promise you this. The devil's always laying plots for your life. You can count on it. You get out of bed, the devil's plotting. You know any plotters? I know a lot of plotters in my life. It's like the, the, they get out of bed and all they can do is think of ways to take from you, get you, hurt you. I mean, they're plotters. And you need to understand, that's what the devil is. He is a plotter. He's been up way before you this morning trying to figure out a way to plot for you, set traps, snares, attack, figure out ways to get you upset, get you mad, get you, you know, bothered, get you depressed, get you offended. He's been doing all of these things all morning long. He's a plotter. But you need to understand this too. God is a planner. The devil's a plotter, but God's a planner. And just like the devil has gotten up and laid plots for you, God has laid plans for you. And the plans of the Lord, say Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts, the NIV says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, not of evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. You know, I know a lot of people are pulled back, nervous, and, you know, concerned about what's going on in our nation or what's going on this year and what's this year going to look like. i got to be honest with you. It don't matter if this year doesn't get any better than last year. It does not matter if this year gets worse than last year. God is still the God of hope. And hope says this, I have good plans for you and your tomorrow is going to be better than your today. So we are serving the God of hope. And the devil's plotting. But God is planning, and so we need to figure out, we need to be um, aware that we need to be sober-minded that the devil's plotting to take you out. And you need to be aware, you need to look for the plots of the devil. Because the Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold. Man, don't find yourself knee-deep in a tar pit and then start looking for tar pits. Start looking for the ways the enemies are going to try to trip you up, mess you up. And then what we also look for is the plans that God has for you. 
And so, jumping into this series, I love it because even the more in this series I feel like right now, it's um, I'm watching the news just like you, and I'm seeing the things going on just like you, and I began to build this out of the book of Daniel. And when you read the book of Daniel, you know, we mostly know how God rescued Daniel from the lion's den and how God, you know, was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But the story Daniel lays back even before then, it lays back and begins when the children of Israel found themselves in a place where they had gotten so far from God's plan as a nation for them that the enemy had an opportunity to come in and captive them. And I don't know about you, but watching just the news and things like that, it's like, wow, look at what the devil's doing in our nation. I mean, who would have ever thought you'd turn the news on in America the Washington, D.C. look like a third world country. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's what we're seeing. And you're saying, what's going on? The devil's plotting. Yes, absolutely. The devil's plotting. The devil's working. The devil's moving. But I, and though, So when you go to Daniel, what happened was the children of Israel, an, an, an enemy, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, came and took captive that nation and brought them back. And it, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar looked at the people in the children of Israel said, I want to get the best looking, the smartest, the most handsome. They were describing the victory church. All right. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring them out and we're going to train them and teach them the way we think. We're going to teach them our ways of doing things. We're going to teach them how to be a Babylonian. Because if we can get them thinking like a Babylonian, we can get them living like a Babylonian, then we will be in control and keep them captive from this point on. And I don't know about you, but the enemy's plotting and planning, trying to get us to think like everybody else is thinking, trying to get us to act like everybody else is acting. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't be, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. You know, right now, I mean, the patterns of this world got a lot of people upset and stressed out. Patterns of this world got people raging and yelling and breaking windows. I'm just shocked. Because, but it's not that shocking because all that's going on are the patterns of this world. People are reacting to things in the flesh. People are acting to, reacting to things in the natural. And the Bible says in Romans 12, it says, don't be conformed to that. Don't, don't get in the patterns of the world. But it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a different way that we're to go through this. And I'm so thankful that like there in Daniel, when the Babylonian Empire came and took over the children of Israel and it brought them into captivity, they decided that they were going to change the way they think and change the way they act because if they could, then they could be in control of them from that point on. There was one that says, you know what? I can't let this happen. And in Daniel chapter... 1, verse 8, when we pick up the story of, of Daniel and the nation of Israel being in a mess and a, a, a foreign entity, a foreign enemy had come and tried to take it over and change who they were. Daniel said this. He said, I have resolved. So they were in a series right now. I believe this is going to be here. God's going to offer more hope than we've ever been offered before. That also means this, we're going to need it. (laughs) We're going to need it. But the thing about it is, hope is what we need to be able to turn it into faith so we can get evidence. 
And so we're going to see the promises of God come about to it. We talked about that last week, but coming into this year, we're going to need to know that there are certain things we're going to have to come to resolve with. Daniel was able to turn the course and the direction of that nation. Because in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, before he was got to the lines then to need to make a decision, he had already made the decisions in Daniel chapter 1. If you wait till you face something this year to build some resolves in your life, then you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're not going to be able to find the resolve inside you. I've been in situations before that it would catch me off guard and by surprise, and I would be like, what do I do? What do I do? And you're wrestling with what you should do, what you want to do, what you can do. And, you know, a lot of times I've made the wrong decisions in those instances. And so what I've learned now is if I'm really going to make a difference for what God has called me to do and be, then I've got to just make some resolves before I find myself in the fiery furnace. Or before I find myself in the lion's den. And even better than that, before I find myself in the palace ruling and reigning over all the people. Because that's where Daniel ended. God's, God's plan for Daniel was not to go through the lion's den. God's plan, that was the plot of the devil. God's plan for Daniel was to be exalted into a place in a nation to influence a Babylonian empire that tried to influence him to change. He influenced them for change. And 700 years later, there were wise men there reading the scrolls of Daniel, seeing what Daniel had imprinted, and they were able to follow and find Jesus. So what I'm saying is we've got to move into a place of resolve. Let's read Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Um, it says this, And Daniel resolved... I gotta find it in my notes. It says, but Daniel resolved, the NIV version says, resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wines. And that doesn't sound like a big deal. That was a little thing, the food and wines. I mean, that what, what happened here in this story was when they brought the best looking and the, the smartest, the victory church to this place, they said that, you know, what we're gonna do is we're gonna give them food off the king's table. The problem with that was the food they were offering them looked good, sounded good, tasted good, but it had been offered to other idols. The king would eat food that had been offered to other idols. And so Daniel knew this. I can't partake in what they're doing because it will defile who God has made me to be. And so, there's, I mean, I got, you might have a lot of emotions about what's going on right now, but you can't act like everybody else. You, you, you may want to respond. I mean, I gotta be honest with you. There's times this year I've had to keep my mouth shut and my fingers off of the, um, the uh, Facebook keyboard because they would defile, it would defile myself. I'm just gonna be, I mean, that's honest. It's, and so, that's, uh, you gotta make decisions. I'm just not going to do what other people do. We can't do what other people say. We can't be what other people are because we're different. I'm called by God. I'm anointed to make a difference. And so Daniel knew that. And he said, I resolve not to defile myself. Now, let me tell you the blessing that comes out of resolve. I love it. It says, so he asked the chief official for permission. I love the fact that he understood authority. I, I'm not saying, i got to be honest with you. I, I was, my jaw dropped when I saw people not honoring authority of our capital this week. I'm just going to be honest with you. Busting out Congress. I mean, you know what would have been more, such more effective than people breaking windows and crushing doors if people would have just got on their knees? 
And it, it's, it's just like that. I'm, and I'm going to try not to go. I need to. I'm going to resolve. I'm not going to go political. It's a, all right, but it says, Chief of it had pray, he went and asked permission to defy, not to defile himself. And then look what verse 9 says. It says, and now God calls the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. I want you to know something. There's nobody too big, too strong, and too high of an authority. God can't change and move on their heart. Your boss does not make enough money to keep God from being able to be able to touch and change him if he knew to. There's nobody that can stop you from getting the favor of God when you resolve to live a life that is pleasing unto God. And so Daniel said, he says, I'm resolved. Before, you know, even before he got to the lion's den, even before he got in that mess, he said, I'm just going to make some resolutions here. I'm going to make some decisions here. I'm going to make some resolves here. I'm going to make some determinations here that this is what I'm going to do. You've got to make your decisions before you get there. And so, in the first of this year, we're, we're, we're making some resolutions and some resolves. We're, we're calling it from now on. Because we're not going to allow what we've done in the past to affect where we're going in the future. From now on. And there was a saying that used to be, um, y'all, y'all remember it, it's uncool now, but um, yellow. You remember yellow? <laughs> remember what yellow meant? You only live once. Yellow. We're only going to live once. Yeah, you remember they had t-shirts and all the young, cool people said it? I always thought, that's so stupid. Because <laughs> when I first heard it, I thought they were talking about Frollo, the yogurt stuff. And then, but it means you only live once. But that's not true. That's not true. You, the Bible says you only die once. But you're going to live twice. As a matter of fact, you're born. You have the ability to be born twice. And so if you're only living for now... You need to understand that these determinations we need to make, then you will only make determinations that will get you through what you're going through now. And you'll never be anything greater in the future. So what we got to do is from now on. Not live from now, but live from now on. This is not the end. 2021 will not be the end of it for us. You say, well, how do you know? Is the Lord come back? If the Lord come back, it's not the end of it for me. I'm going to rule and reign forever. Because I'm a child of God and I'm born again. And so I've got to make some resolves from that will last from now on. That I will determine that this is who I am, this is what I am, because my greatest failures in my life have happened when I waited till I got in the heat of the battle to try to make a decision. And I'm amazed at times how people, they don't get a prayer life till they find themselves on a battlefield. They don't know what the Word says until they find themselves needing a promise. But you understand, if you will, from now on, make these resolutions in our lives as a church... This year will be the greatest year you've ever had. Tomorrow will be better than you've ever seen. And so you just have to decide, I'm going to resolve some things here and now before I get too deep in this year that I spend the rest of the year cleaning up the mess that I made behind me. Amen? So we're going into it. So last week we talked about, from now on, I'm going to put God first. And so that's where we are right now as a church. We have made the decision to put God first. And we talked about four ways to do it. One, we put God first of our year. So right now we're in the middle of our 21-day fast. You are, we are fasting not because we're trying to lose weight, like Pastor George says. You may not see that happen on some of us. Amen? <laughs> but no, I hope it happens on me. Or maybe because I, that's just a byproduct of getting closer to God. Hopefully I'm going to drop some weight. But, for, but we're putting God, we're taking the first 21 days and saying, God, we want to be closer to to you. And you say, well, how does fasting, prayer and fasting do that? Well, Jesus, the Bible says in, um, that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and a father come running up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I need your help. I've got a son that 
is oppressed. He's got, if he gets by the fire, he'll throw himself in it. If he gets by the water, he throws himself in it. There's no one can deliver him. Even your disciples cast out the devil and it didn't help. And Jesus looked at him and made this statement. He said, you wicked and perverse generation. That's hard words. I mean, that, you think, Jesus, what? That's, that's rude. You know, but Jesus said, you wicked and perverse. What is wickedness and perverse? Wickedness is being too far from God. And perverse is being too connected to the world. He said, you're too far from God. Why could they not cast out this, this kid? Why could they not see this miracle happen? Why could, he, why could God not use your disciples that walked with Jesus and told you to deliver this kid? We know it's the will of God that he be free. Why can't it happen? Because he said they were wicked and perverse. They were too far from God. And too connected to the world. And then Jesus makes this statement. He said, some miracles only come about by prayer and fasting. Do you know what prayer and fasting is? Prayer is you connecting to God. And fasting is you separating from the world. And so he said, you know, when you get closer to God. And you push the flesh further away. What happens is it positions you into a place that you can have miracles and be used by God in ways. Because this wasn't about the boy getting delivered. God, Jesus set him free. It was about God being able to use disciples effectively. And, and as, as a church, you know, we had to say, God, this year, from now on, God's going to be first. So we're going to give him first of our year. We're, we're fasting. If you haven't got in on the fast, I want to encourage you, get in on the fast. I'm not going to go through the ways of fast. We did that last week. But find something to push away. Because if you push that away... You are disconnecting yourself for a season to get closer to God. And you're going to be facing something this year. You're going to need a miracle of God in your life. Or someone in your family or someone that you love is going to need you to be anointed enough by God. Close enough to God and separated far enough from the world for you to be effective in their lives. So, we're putting God first in our fast. Then we talked about putting God first in our months. What is that? We sit down and we make a schedule. We schedule to be in, be a part of what the church is doing. We schedule to be in the groups. We schedule to serve. We schedule to do what God's called us to do. And we budget. Putting God first in your month, you sit down and make a schedule. You make, make plans to do things involving in the kingdom of God. And you budget so that you can be a part of tithing. Because giving God first means giving God first of everything. That's not your year, just not your month, but your finances, the first of your heart, first of your, your life. Give, God is the first of everything. And the way you make God the first, you give God the first of everything. Then we talked about how we're giving God the first of our week. And that's why we talk about on Sundays. We go to church on Sunday. If you look on the calendar, it starts with an S and ends with an S Sunday to Saturday. Some churches go to church on Saturday because they keep the Sabbath holy. We go to church on Sunday as I believe it because we put God first. And so what we and then I'm not saying what I said. That's who we are because we believe if you give God the first, then He blesses all the rest. And so on. And as a week, we come to church on Sunday. And so from this from now on, you got to make the decision this year. You're going to have to put God first, no matter what happens. You're going to put God first. There are people online right now, I understand, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But are there people online that are only able to only able to connect to church online right now? And I understand that, but at least they're connected online. There are a lot of times that during the pandemic, people wasn't doing that at all. And so you making the, the, the decision, you making the determination that from now on, I'm going to have God first in my week. Sundays, 
are going to be in a service somewhere, whether it be online. If you're online right now and you're part of the service, comment. Put a note in there say, hey, I'm here. So that we know, so that we can you, you can connect and be a part of what's going on because we're putting God first right now. And by putting God first right now, by even being here, you're giving God permission to bless the rest. So seek ye first the kingdom. We got all these other things will be added to you. One translation says, as well. Man, that's awesome. And so then we've talked about giving God the first of your day. The first thing you do in the day. Go spiritual before you go social or go spiritual before you go digital. You know, read the, read the word. Praise. Pray. He's got to be first. Because a lot of times we get so busy doing what we do, it'll be lunch before we hit our first major hurdle or headache. And then we start crying out to God for mercy. And there's a difference from praying from the seat of mercy, which is always available, and praying from the seat of grace, which is always powerful. And I've been in, I've lived a life, a lot of times where I've had to cry out for God's mercy constantly. But then I've learned that that's not the position I have to stay in. I can move to where I, I, I cry out to God before I need mercy, and I get grace to function when I need the mercy. I have the power to withstand. And so, we give God the first of our day. Now, I'm going to jump through, uh, last week I told you it was pretty simple last week, but we're going to go into a lot of heavier stuff this week because i got to get to where we're going to be next week. I'm excited about next week. I want to jump there, but we got to go through these things first, okay? Um, so, just like in Psalms 37.23, it says this, The steps of the righteous man are ordered by the Lord. God's plans for your life are steps. He puts it in steps. And what he says is, as you take a step, it releases God to be able to do a work on that step. And then as you take a step, it releases God to do a work at that level. And we talked about last week, the rich young ruler that came and said, good teacher, what must I do? And he said, all right, well, first I want you to keep the Ten Commandments. I want you to work on getting your life cleaned up. And he said, oh, I can do that. Yeah, I've been doing that since I was a kid. All right, you got that step conquered. Now I want you to um, give away all your money to the poor. Now that sounds tough. And people, I think, at that moment, think that's when the rich young ruler turned around and left. And I don't believe that was the step that caused him to leave. I believe the Bible says, he says, give away all your money to the poor. I believe he was a businessman. I believe he understood the principle of investment. You know, he understood the principles of sowing and reaping. He understood, man, you can't plant a seed without reaping a harvest. I believe he understood all that. But then God gave him another step. I never saw this before until this year. And God said, see, there's another step. He says, give away all your money to the poor. And God said, and follow me. There was another step there. And I believe when he had to give up his way of doing things, give up the life and the reputation that he had built, and give up everything that he wanted to do, the Bible says he walked away sad. There's steps. And the cool thing about it is we get to choose at what step we quit. Or we get to choose, are we going to climb to the levels that God is calling us to climb up to? I've just made the decision this year. I'm not sitting on this step. I'm going to keep stepping. I'm going to keep stepping. And get, check out that the Bible says God's going to keep ordering. And He's going to keep ordering. He said, what does ordering mean? Ordering means, you know, number one, order means in the right position or in the right 
a systematic order. There are step one, step two, step two, step three. There's ordering as in, also like I can get online and I can order something from Amazon. In other words, my desires, thing, he starts putting them in place in my future. I can order and get online. I just did it with Sister Gracie. All ago, we got an order copy, or adding paper, and it said in two days, this thing's going to be here. So we're pumped. You know, the God, is, as you begin to take those steps, God orders things in your future that will show up for you as you walk that way. But then there's this. There's the order as in commandment. And just like here, Daniel said, I have determined. I'm not going to defile myself. I made decisions before. The Bible says then God, God moved on the heart of the chief and gave him favor. God's ordering, ordering things. Like say, right now that step may not even exist for your promotion. That, that next thing that you're going to go out after. But the minute you take your step, God orders and says, get under his foot. Boom. Get under his foot. Boom. He commands things to begin to move on your behalf. I tell you, I'm pumped this year. But that means we've got to take steps. We're going to have to be able to take steps. And so, you know, we talked about last week, putting God first. is the first step this year. You know, here at the church, a lot of people always want to know what our, our vision, what steps we believe that God's called to. Our steps, number one is this, that you meet God. We believe that we're church where people should be able to come and meet God. That's what we do here on the weekends. That's what Sunday services are designed for. That's what Wednesday nights are designed for. Is that when people come into this church, they have an encounter with God. That's why the lights are... Some people say, well, I don't like the dark lights. I understand we're constantly, if, you, if you're here, we're constantly changing things and moving things. Because we're constantly, we can't make God move, but we can create an atmosphere that you can move into the presence of God in. And when you enter the presence of God, things change. Like if you encounter God, you know God's will... Our first step at the church, our first concern, our first um, priority here at the church is that you know God. And we will, we as a church feel called to do whatever it takes to cause people to have an encounter with God. So, you know, your step is keep having encounters with God. Keep taking steps to know God. The more you know God, the better life gets. The more you know God, the greater you become. The more you know God. So first step is here at the church. We want you to know God. That's why we are doing this fast. That's why we ask you to you know, come to services. But then we don't stop there as a church. We, next thing, we want you to find freedom. Because you can be saved and bound. The best example of this is when Lazarus comes out of that grave. They just sang it. The Bible says that Jesus called his name, Lazarus, come forth. He uh, came alive. He got saved, just like it. And he came walking out of that tomb. But the Bible says he was bound in bandages. And he said, he told his disciples, loose them. Loose him. See, I don't know what shape you came into. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus looks at his disciples and said, go into town, you're going to find a wild A-double-S is what it says. That's King James. I'm not going to say that word. I'm just going to tell you what King James says. And I love that story because I can relate very well at parts of my life. That's where I was. It says, go to the donkey. You'll find him bound to a fence. And it says, loose him. Bring him to me. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? This is what it said. He said, tell him I have purpose for him. Saying this, everybody that God uses has been bound at one point or another. And I'm here to tell you this. If you are bound by something today, there is hope for you that God has plans and great purposes for you in your future. The problem is, a lot of us got to get loose from that fence before we can live out the purpose. If, if, that donkey would, if, the, if that donkey wouldn't have got loose from the fence, 
God could have never used him to ride into that city. Think about it this. A lot of times, in, in both of those stories, you see, they didn't get loose by themselves. He didn't, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he didn't say, Lazarus, take off your bandages. Because the truth of the matter is, if you could set yourself free, you already would have. If I could get myself delivered, I would already have. But the thing about it is you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. It's just the truth. That donkey, I'm sure, because it described what kind of donkey he was. It was probably pulling and jerking and fighting to get off that fence all that day. But it wasn't until God sent disciples into that situation that loosed him off that fence post. And then God was able to use him for great and mighty things. I'm here to tell you this. Our process here at the church is, secondly, is for you to find freedom. We believe that happens in our small groups. That's why we have our small groups in this church. You're not going to get free by yourself. If you would have, you could have, and you would have already done it. But you need us, and we need you. And so we believe that happens out of relationships. We come together as a group in relationships, and God uses people that are going through the same things that you've been through, or you things you've been through that they're going through. God uses you to help loose them out of what it is. That's why all of these small groups have a purpose. And I'm telling you, in this church, you just come in and knowing God is not good enough. You need to get free. And so you need to get involved in one of these small groups. I'm so pumped about our freedom class. Miss Katrina is teaching it this Tuesday. I tell you, if you've never been through freedom, you don't know what you're missing. You are bound to fences you have no idea you're bound to. And you need to make sure you take a step. You say, well, Korea, I need God to do great things for me this year. Then take a step. Take a step. Make a resolve that I'm going to take it. I'm going to get in freedom. If your marriage is struggling this year, take a step. That's why Pastor C.C. and Maurice do our marriage class. We have, that little card you have there has a ton of small groups. And the reason why it's not all done in big settings like this, these big settings are designed for you to know God. Those small groups are designed for people to help get the bandages off, for you to be loosed off your fence, for you to be set free. Because it is not God's will for you to go through life and get to heaven, but yet live miserable here on this earth. You can be saved and bound. You can be saved and addicted. You can be saved and depressed. You can be saved and all. But you, God wants you to be free. And so God uses small groups and other people's relationships. And so if whatever it is, I'm, I'm asking everybody today, before you go out of here, that little card that says small groups, I'm asking you to look at it and look over the things and check a few. Like, And you might not know what some of them mean, but if they spike an in interest, check it anyway. We will contact you and let you know what they are. We'll give, we're going to give these cards out to the different uh, small group leaders. And they will be connected. Now let me tell you one that I'm in charge of. I'm just starting the one that says their pursuit. I feel like God told me this year to involve myself in a in a uh, small group called the pursuit and it's going to be a group of people that enjoy pursuing things i like to pursue i don't like sitting and waiting on nothing i like to get up every day and go after something that's why i got a beautiful wife that's why i've got money because i get up every day and go after something my wife didn't look at me and say "Ooh, i want him i looked at her and said "Ooh, i want her and i ran after her i like to pursue things and pursuit is biblical and the thing about it is if you don't pursue the right things then whether you know it or not, you're pursuing the wrong. And so I want my small group is going to be, we're going to do it on Zoom. And once a week, we're going to do a a small group Zoom. And we're going to get a group of people that are excited about pursuing things, excited about pursuing God, excited about pursuing business, excited about pursuing relationship, excited about, and we're going to pursue things, all right? So if if you're into that, check pursuit. That's the only one that really don't have a good definition to it. But mine's the pursuit. But then mark anything that you're into. Mark five if you want to. And try out each one until you find one that fits, that helps you get free of what you're battling, all right? So we believe in finding freedom. So this year, make the decision. I'm going to take the step to find freedom. You say, Cricket, why do I need to do that? Because this year is going to be a year of hope. That means there's going to be an opportunity for you to go through things that you're going to desperately need hope. 
And if you're not free, if you don't know God, then you won't know why you're going through it. Our third purpose of this church is this. We believe that we're called to help you discover purpose. We have tools and we have plans. Pastor Yvette's our connection pastor. We teach classes. Um, we actually, you know, where you go in and we figure out what your shape is on how God made you, your past experiences, your spiritual gifts, and all of that. And we help find what God calls. We believe that your purpose don't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. God made you for something. And most of the people go through their entire life not knowing what that is. What a shame. What a waste that is. And, but you got, we believe you can know what it is now and start walking in it now. And so we, as a church, we want you to find your purpose. And then fourthly, we, want, we believe we're called to make a difference. Get in, serve, be a part of what God's doing through this church. Now, I say all that to say this. A lot of times you can get these things out of order. A lot of times people come into church wanting to be free, but they don't know who God is. But the Bible says, whom the Son says free is free indeed. You're not going to get free without God. You're just not going to do it. You have to know God. And so if you're trying to get free without God, you're going to find yourself once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You may not be drinking, but you're not free. Because I've got to be honest with you. Bible says, let the, um, let the uh, weak say I'm strong. I, I understand principles of AA. Principles of AA started as a Christian organization, but now it's any deity. I'm here to tell you, you're not going to get free without God. So you're going to have to know God first. Then you'll be able to find freedom. Real freedom. Not freedom that you just, you know, got to get another day where you ain't taking a drink. A freedom that old things pass away, all things become new. That's your past, but this is who you are now. And so that we believe that, but you can't get them out of order. You can't find your purpose without finding getting free. Because that donkey couldn't be used by God until he was loosed off that pole. Alright? So there's a sequence and an order to things. That God, that's why he says his steps are ordered by the Lord. So this year, there are steps we're having to take. Number one step. From now on, you've got to make the resolve like Daniel did. That I'm not going to define myself. Our step is that we're going to put God first this year. Number two, we're going to go through several of these, so you may want to write them down. But number two, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make a resolve that we are going to repent from our past. Now, a lot of times that's interpreted as in repent for my past. You need to understand that you don't repent for your past. Because if you repent for your past, what happens is you keep a hold of your past And you have to live a constant state of repenting from that every day. You repent from your past. You don't fight for victory. You live from victory. What I mean by that is this. Once you repent, you ask God to forgive you, it's over. It's gone. But see, if you don't repent from your past, that means turn away from it and go away. Distance yourself from it. Separation. Get it to where you can't, every time the devil comes and tells you, you're no different. You're just like, you can't reach back and grab it and cuddle up with that guilt. You're never going to go anywhere. When you repent from your past, it is you separating from what it was. The blood of Jesus is strong enough to cut anything you've ever done in your past from you. And it's not who you are anymore. Now, the problem is the devil wants to play games with a lot of us and play plots and get you stuck in the tar in your past. And so what happens is you're driving your life looking through the rearview mirror and it slows the progression. It slows the distance. You can't go. Life was never meant to be driven through the rearview mirror. If you can't get your eyes off of what you did or where you've been, you never can focus on where God's taken you. 
And so what happens is you have to repent from your past. What does that mean? In 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says that godly sorrow brings repentance. But it says, but worldly sorrow brings regret. Let me ask you, does the devil keep you constantly living in regret for things that you've repented for? How many times have I repented for something? Say, God, I I confess it's a sin and I ask you to forgive me. I repent from it and I turn from it. But then three days later, the devil's trying to take me back to saying, you remember when you did that? And I was like, man, I sure wish I would have done that. And I'll repent for the same thing again. And I repent and I keep in this stuck mode of living in regret. And the enemy wants to keep the power of repentance in your life, keeping you stuck in the, in the guilt of regret. And so you can never go forward from what you used to be because you're constantly allowing the enemy keeping you regretting from what you've done. I'm here to tell you, if God saved you, that's not who you were anymore. And you don't got to regret a single thing because God will turn all things for good for those who love Him and for who are called according to you. Your greatest regret will become the greatest tool in God's arsenal if you can repent from it and move away from being what it was and just determined. Man, now what used to destroy what God, the devil meant for harm, that plot that he set, that thing that I was in, God's now going to use for good and become a testimony and save many lives. You've got to make the decision. Not going to live in regret anymore. You may have done some stupid things. You may have made some bad decisions. But you repent from them and you let God begin to use what the enemy tried to get you stuck in. Amen? So number one, I put God for number two. I'm moving. I will move to a place. I will repent from my past. Number three, I will renew my mind. Now, the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, it says that don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. It says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're going to sit here just for a few minutes because it says, so that it may prove what is that, prove that is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. You've got to understand this. You will not get God's will for your life being being conformed to the pattern of this world. You, you can't live God's plan for your life living like the world. And the truth is, you were born into the world. And you were born into a fallen state. And you were born with a dirty mind. And usually when you're talking about you know, renewing your mind, people are like, oh, Christians just want to brainwash you. You don't know how lucky you are that I'm standing up here today and God has washed my brain. Because you don't know the filth, the trash, the things I had in it. You probably, anybody in here wouldn't be my friend if my brain hadn't been washed. And it gets washed more and more every day. And so this is the thing. You have to decide that it's okay to change the way you've always been. Now see, you don't renew your mind by changing your mind. Because if that could be done, you could change your mind all the time. You have to renew your mind by taking out what's in it and replacing what was there with the truth. See, from the very beginning, God has laid plots on your behalf. 
I mean, the devil has laid plots on your behalf. From the day you hit this planet, the devil has been putting traps, snares. He's been placing people to say things. He's been causing you to perceive things that may not even have been true, but the way you saw them now look real. And so because they looked real then and you perceived it that way, or people would say things out of their brokenness or out of their hurt to you that it really wasn't even directed at you at all. They were just speaking out of their brokenness, but it left an imprint on you. Authorities would say, you're no good, you're stupid. But look at you, you're ugly. They would say that it would imprint things on the inside of you. And all of the things that have happened to you, all of the things that you've been through, all of the times that the devil has been at work in your life against you, and you need to know this, they've been every single day, every single one of your days on this planet, they've been there. He's been plotting against you from day one. And what's happened is all of those plots that we've went through and done... We have taken them and they have been imprinted on the inside of us. He's been speaking things to you. He's been lying to you. And the thing about it is, it's it's all this life of stuff that's been going on inside of here. I can tell you this. The devil has never truthfully told you a scripture that would set you free one time. The devil will even use the Bible. And the devil will even use church. The devil will even use Christians and the devil to even plot against you. You say, prove it. Jesus was in the wilderness. And the devil just kept preaching the Bible. But it was plotting against him because it wasn't of the Spirit of God. See, you may have been hurt in a church. That wasn't God. That was the devil plotting. You may have been let down by a believer. That wasn't God. That was. But to see, all of that's gone on inside of here. See, when you got saved, your spirit was instantly saved. But the Bible says you were saved. Then the Bible also says in one place that you are being saved. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the problem with it is, is all of this stuff has been put inside of our minds. And our minds are like a record player. They just keep playing and playing and playing. And what happens is when you go through things, that record, that... Um, hits a heart or a bump in life, a record will get a scratch in it. And so every time you go through something now, it'll, you ever heard a record get stuck on a scratch and it'll play the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over? The truth be told, most of us have the same exact thought in our head all the time. Anytime we're alone, anytime we're there, we just hear that same thing. And that's probably not unless you have purposely made the decision to renew your mind, then that thought is a lie of the devil. And you have been living this lie. That's playing over and over in your head. And this is what happens when you allow that stuff to stay. I was on a, I was on a um, job a few years ago. And what they called me, what they called and said, Hey, man, we are just infested with roaches. And they said, we need you to come and you know, poison everything around. They thought the roaches, when it got cold, were coming into these condos. So we just infested with them. So, you know, we went out, we bought good insecticide, and all of a sudden we sprayed perimeter and all that stuff, put out all the stuff that would get rid of them, even plugged up the little electronic things that were supposed to run away. And about a week later, they come back and say, man, we're still having unbelievable problems. with you got, Can you come out here and you know, see if there's any cracks, holes? So we did. We went out and found anywhere there were cracks, holes, phone. They, they would never let us on the inside. Less on the inside of it, but they wanted us to fix what was going on on the inside because they felt like what they were, was going on, on the inside was coming in from what was going on on the outside. All right. So after the third week, they called and said, "Man, we're still having this problem." I said, "Man, you have to let us in." And so they gave us the door code. We went in, 
You would not imagine the trash that was in that place. There were dirty dishes and old nasty food. and I mean, it was nasty in there. And that's what I told myself, guys, this is not an outside bug coming in problem. This is what you got on the inside. It's attracting the bugs in here. There's no way we're going to get them out until you clean this thing up. And the truth of the matter is, everything you're battling today from the enemy is not an outside problem. I have a friend few, several years ago, before I was married, I flew out to Portland, Oregon to do a TBN, TBN show with um, a couple ministers. And when I got there, I got to meet a really cool pastor. His name is Kevin Gerald. He had just put out a book called uh, Mind Monsters. And they gave us one. We got to read it. It was, it was an amazing thing. The principle of this book is the, the monsters that you fight in your mind, the fear, the anxiety, the, the negative thoughts, the, the bad emotion, all that. It's monsters, yeah, that come from the enemy, but they're attracted to something. There has to be a food source for the monsters to come and eat them. And what happens is when we don't move and discipline ourselves to the place to renew our minds, what happens is we keep trying to shut the doors on the outside. But the monsters are so attracted to what we have on the inside, they're going to find a way to get in. And so what we have to make the decision this year is that I'm going to renew my mind. Philippians 4, 8 says this. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. It's a pretty important thing that Paul's telling the church here. Now, brothers, there's this one final thing. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Now, uh, is that the NIV? Go to the NIV. I like the word fix here. Because, see, if you've got to fix it, that means there's something broken. And the truth of the matter is, the way the enemy has caused you to perceive the world, the way the enemy has caused you to go through the thing. That, and the truth is, the devil put plotted and put people in your lives that really have hurt you and really have broke you. and really The devil's been plotting. And the, the NIV says, finally, brother, whatever things are true, it says, here it says, finally, brother, this one last thing, fix your thoughts. No, I'm sorry, it's not. It's this the NLT um, version. It's the NLT, New Living Translation. It says, fix your thoughts. So what that means is, you, you know how to fix a car? You ever had a car make a noise? And you wanted to ignore it and hope that noise got better? Did it ever? No. It took somebody getting the right tools, putting the right energy, and putting the right time into making that problem right. Something's broken on the inside, and to fix it, it's going to take the right tool. problem is, a lot of times, we try to take the wrong tools to do the, that kind of a job. And you know what happens if you use the wrong tool? Uh, Bob Hemp, when we went to a Freedom Weekend one time, he said, he says, you know, he saw this family that had a flat, and they got out to fix it. They didn't have their, um, their um, lug wrench, so they borrowed one that was not the same make as model of the car. And said so they kept trying to take these tires off, with the run, and it ended up destroying all the lug nuts to the point they had to take the car, tow it to a shop just to get the tire off. And a lot of times as Christians, we keep trying to fix what's wrong with the wrong tools. And what it does ends up causing damage and hurt. And, and the truth is, God's plan is not for you to try to fix things or pretend they're not there or ignore the realistic of them or just be strong at what God's wanting you to do. He's got the tools. He says, you can fix them. 
You can fix your thoughts and they will repel the monster. He said, fix the thoughts and put them on what's true, honorable and right, pure, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keeping, keep putting into practice. This is the trick. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you have heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will fill you. How do I fix what's wrong? You got to practice what you have learned. And then peace will come. You're going to have to make this discipline. You know, you know what practice takes? Discipline. My little girl is a uh, gymnast, and she, she won fifth in the state of Alabama last year. She's good at it. She's good at it. The first year she went in, she's only been in it um, two years. Last year when she went in it, there was a certain level of natural ability she had. Because we'd never had her in gymnastics, but we, she, she saw it on TV once. We put her in class, so we let her try, and boom, she won the first meet she ever went to. So there was a certain ability, amount of natural ability. But if she would not have understood that only natural ability that she had would get her so far, then she would still be in the first uh, bronze, whatever they were in. Now she's in the Silver Junior Olympics. And she's only been in it for a year. She won fifth and sixth this year because she understood the importance of practice. And so every Tuesday and every Thursday, she goes for two and a half hours. For the first hour, they do nothing but calisthenics. The kid, it breaks my heart. She, to me, she's so little. You know, she's only about this tall. But she's so little. But she comes in on Tuesday nights or Wednesday mornings. I'm so sore. I remember those days when I go to the gym. And I'm like, you're too little to be sore. I don't want you. But she's like, no, Dad, i got to go do this because if I'm ever going to win the National Olympics, i got to do this. And so she's got this discipline that she's kicked into. And even though it's uncomfortable, even though that she's having to do all this working out and all these things, she understands the importance of it. Because if she's ever going to be a champion, there has to be the discipline of practice. And here he said, your mind is full of junk. The world has put so much junk in your mind. And it's attracting the enemy with depression. attracting the enemy of anger and fear. It's attracting all that. So you've got to renew your mind. It's not change it. It's to replace it. And so what you have to do is you have to go through the work that it takes to take the truth and replace the facts. The truth is the Word of God. The facts is everything that you've ever been through. And so until you replace those things in your mind, you will never be able to come out of what the enemy has had to hold you back in. It takes from now on, I'm going to practice and do what I've been learned. I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to discipline myself to get the Word of God in. Every time, and so you say, Cricket, how do I do that? Number one, you've got to recognize what the, the mess is. I was told the early service, I've been to the grocery store, me and, me and Lexi now sit back and we laugh at people. Because uh, we like to go in the grocery store, and we like to watch people, how they come up, and everybody has a different way of determining whether something is right or rotten. 
And so you can just sit back and watch. People will walk up to the avocados and some people will squeeze it. Some people, I've seen people rub it. Some people, I was told the other day the way you do it is you push on the stem. If the stem moves a little bit, that's ready to eat. You know what I'm saying? But every piece of fruit in there, in the grocery store, everybody usually has a way of telling whether it's ripe or not. I've seen people, you know, they, the cantaloupes are the funniest. When people walk up to the cantaloupe, they say you tell a cantaloupe is ripe is, uh, by the smell. So you can pick up that cantaloupe and you sniff it. And if you can smell cantaloupe, then it's ready to eat. If not, you've got to let it sit on the counter for several days. And it's so funny. We watch people walk in there just picking up cantaloupes and just smelling cantaloupes. And then we watch the next person walk up picking up cantaloupe. But they're inspecting for good fruit. So before you will ever be able to renew your mind, you first got to be able to identify what's bad. And you got to be able to recognize that, wow, this thought that I mean, George Myers says it like this, think about what you think about. George Myers says that you got you to stop for a minute and think. Um, there's a, a, a pastor said this one time at his church, this is what their rule is, think about everything twice and say it once. You've got to stop for a minute and recognize, what thought am I having here? Is this a thought that aligns with the Word of God? Or is this a thought that the enemy has tried to implant in me that will draw things to me that I will have to battle in my future? Mind monsters. God never intended for you to have to fight those monsters. But then he's been plotting on your... God's plan for you is for you to be more than the conqueror. A lot of people can't even see themselves as being more than a conqueror because they got a lie inside them saying you're never going to conquer anything. You're going to be a loser your whole life. And so they're going to have to take that loser lie, take it out, recognize, say, wow, God never said I'm a loser. And then find what the Word of God says. I have made more than a conqueror. And you've got to put it back in. And then it says you got to, you know what practice is? You keep doing the same thing over and over again until it becomes natural. And you've got to take that scripture and every time you have that thought, you have to make yourself think what the Word of God says, not what the facts in your life that have happened. And when you do that enough and enough and enough, it becomes natural. And both can't live there. Both A lie and the truth can't live in the same place. One's going to dominate the other. And so you're going to have to renew your mind. From now on, you have to make the decision. Get up every day and renew your gun. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be tough at first. Lexus last year stayed twice as sore as she does this year. And she was twice as weak as she is this year. She's twice as strong and can do twice as much this year because she spent a year practicing. As you practice and you go through this thing, you say, this year, I'm determined. I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to get up every day and I'm not going to let my thoughts and the things that have happened. In, because we've got these. Next, when you're by yourself, listen to your head. We say some crazy stuff. What do you think people would think about us if we had to say out loud, it's coming out of one or the other? And every time I open my mouth, it has the power to dictate my future. Words are the most powerful things God has ever given us on this planet. And when we speak God's words, we can move mountains. But the thing about it is most of the time we speak our words, and then we go another level, we speak the same words that the devil implanted in our heads years and years and years ago before we even had a fighting chance. Most of the battles and things you fight in your head happened to you before you were five. And so you're battling battles, you don't even know you're battling, but you continue to battle them because you keep speaking them. And so until you start tackling what you say and making your mouth line up with God, so let me show you how powerful words are, okay? Close your eyes real quick, everybody. Bay it. I'm going to say a word. When I say a word, I want you to recognize what's going on. Dog. Mean dog. Big dog. Snoop dog. Right, look at me real quick. How many had pictures changed in their head? 
Right, let me ask you, who, who saw the same dog three times? Who saw three different dogs? All right, who saw the word dog? Those are very smart people. One in like 50. See you later. Those are your brilliant people. All right, who saw Snoop Dogg? Right, we're going to have an altar call for you in a minute. All right, that's a totally different thought pattern. But what I'm here to see, do you see what you did when you, you heard a word and you saw a vision? Vision, the visions you have in your life dictate the direction your life will go. That's why the Bible says my people perish for lack of vision. And so every word that you say, it happens so quickly and you don't have your eyes closed and you're not paying attention to it. But every word that you say, a picture has been drawn in there and your life is following the visions that you're creating. And because we don't understand that, if we don't speak life, we will never get a vision. You keep following the same vision that the negative lies in your mind have been saying. And you're wondering why your marriage is so broken. Because you keep saying my marriage is broken. You and the, let me tell you something else. Your words are so powerful they will influence other people. You keep calling that husband a loser. Guess what he'll be? You keep speaking about your boss that way. Your words have the power to create vision, and vision is what people will follow. Bible says this, write it down, make it plain. Take the vision, write it down, make it plain so that others can run with it. Your vision affects other people. And your words create your vision. And your words that you're creating is causing the people. So my question is this, you need to know other people's words are creating your vision too. Are you letting losers speak into your life? Are you letting leaders speak into your life? Because there's a difference. You've either got somebody in your life speaking behind you, coaching you on, or you've got somebody standing ahead of you saying, you can't go there. You've got to understand the power of words. And so you're going to have to make the decision this year that you're going to speak life. From now on. I'm going to speak life over my family. I'm going to speak life over my church. You want to know why there's problems in this church that you see? Because you keep telling everybody about them. Just being honest. Your power, your words are speaking vision that are creating realities. You say, well, show me. The Bible says that our, our, our tongue is like a rudder. It determines the direction that our life goes. You have the power of life and death and the power of your tongue. So from now on, I've got to renew my mind, but I've got to... Chance. You say, well, Cricket, how do I do these? you got to get in a small group. You're not going to do it by yourself. Because i got to be honest with you, when I work by myself all day is the days that I struggle with my thoughts and my thinking in my mouth more than any other day. Because I need other. But if I'm beside somebody that is fighting with me, like George said, Pastor George said, he was working with a guy, hit his hand, hollered, praise God. My question would be, what did the guy holler when you wasn't there? Because the truth is, but the thing about it is this. I'm glad he had somebody with him that he didn't because the truth is, there's probably, I would probably say a lot of things about, um, about you know, we're good behavior modifiers. We are modifiers. We can, we can act good for a long time, but then when you really get in a situation, like I, I can treat Jennifer really good a lot of times and say really sweet things to her. Then we get in an argument all of a sudden. You're just like your mom will come out. And I'm like, did I say that out loud? I was thinking that, but I did not mean to say that out loud. Because when I say what, the, what that really means is that shows what's in my head or in my heart. Because the Bible says what's in your heart comes out your mouth. And you might can pretend you're good for a long time, but when it comes out, that's a sign. You need to check that out. Like, Whoa! I need to get that renewed. And i got to change by saying that. There are certain things in me and Jennifer's relationship, certain words we're not allowed to say to each other. Why? Because we're not going to speak those visions into who we are. We've made decisions. If the whole world falls apart, we're going to fall together. You're going to have to make decisions. Now, 
not only do you speak life, this is the last one I'm done. You have to make the decision. And this year it will determine. Like I say, next week's going to be a lot lighter. Today's heavy. I told you last week, we're going to see them simple. We're going to get into some deep stuff. And then we'll get into the society stuff. This is the last one. This year you'll have to make the decision to forgive others. If you do not do this this year, you're going to find yourself in a spot tied and tethered to a place where God is trying to get you to go on and move from. But you can't because what you're tied and tethered to. The word offense actually comes from a picture. It's a hook that's hanging on a string and has a bait on it. And that word offense actually is the picture of a snare. Any po- turkey poachers in here? Anything about it? All right, let me tell you how to poach a turkey. All right. You can go into the woods and take a fishing line and hang it and put corn on it. Now, if you do this, you're going to go to jail. All right. But you put corn on it. And as a turkey walks through the woods, he sees that he'll swallow that corn. And that hook will hang him in the throat. And he'll stay there till he dies because he's hung. That's what the picture of an offense is. The word offense is a snare. When you allow hurt and offense to stay in your life, what you do is you serve a prison sentence for a crime somebody else committed. They're getting to live free, but you're bound because of what's happened. The greatest hindrance to what God has called you to do will be things that other people have done to you. They have the power to hold you still and hold you paralyzed and hold you captive. And I, what I'm telling you is not an easy thing because I've had to forgive people. I've got to be honest with you. I did not feel like I should get forgive. I had to forgive people for things that they did not deserve to be forgiven. I've had to forgive people for things because what had happened was I realized I'm not moving on in my life or in the destiny God has for me. I'm not moving on with fullness of joy and peace. I'm stuck here because of what they did. That's so unfair. They did this to me. They, and it just gets deeper and deeper. But when you make the decision, it's a decision, it's not a feeling, that I release you and I forgive you. Now, the reason why a lot of people can't forgive is because they think forgiving is forgetting. And you need to understand something. It is absolutely impossible to forgive and forget. only person that can do that is God. It's absolutely impossible for you to do it unless I have a crowbar. You give me a crowbar and you want to forget something, I could probably help you out with that. But God has the ability to forgive, but we don't. And so what happens is you don't forgive and forget. That was taught wrong. Also, you don't forgive and pretend it didn't happen. That's wrong. You don't forgive and press it down and try to get over it. That's not forgiveness. This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is... I'm going to give you this for a second. Forgiveness is... That's going to be offense. Hand me your offense. You give me this offense. He took an action and gave me something now that I'm stuck with. And what we do is we try to hide it we try to stuff it down. We try to forget it. We try to push it aside, move past it, but we still got it. What happens is we end up stacking so many offenses up that we're carrying a whole library. And it's stopping us. So what do you do with it? Is it just pray a prayer? No. 
Because you can pray the same prayer and still walk away with the offense. This is what offense is. You take it. And in 1 Peter 2.24 is the healing scripture that we all quote. But 1 Peter 2.20 says this, When they raveled him, he raveled not. When they abused him, yelled at him, hit him, he did not respond back. He said, but he entrusted it unto the Lord. And then it says, and by his stripes, he was healed. What happens is when somebody gives you an offense, and i got to be honest with you, there's real things. I mean, there's people that have been abused when they were children. I've watched my wife do this. And it taught me to want to be able to do it more because she's been through a lot more from people than I have. Man, she's free as a bird. And people just speak to me bad and I'm battling with it, you know? Stuck there. And so she, we take the offense and we don't. What we do is we go and we say, Lord, this is what's been given to me. And I don't know what else to do with it, but it's too heavy for me to carry because it's got me stuck. So I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to trust that they're not going to get away with it. I'm going to trust that you're not just going to overlook it. I'm going to trust that you're not going to move on past it. I'm going to trust that you will judge this justly. And the same way you have judged me, you will judge that. And then the Bible says, then the stripes that Jesus paid become my healing. And I'm free. Now let me say this. When you tell somebody you want to pray, a lot of people think you need to go and apologize to that person. I don't think you do every time. As a matter of fact, there's some people that can't. The parent or the person, the adult, made it done, passed them, went away. It don't take two people to get free in the area of forgiveness. If I have a boat tied to a dock, I don't need somebody on the boat untying it, and I don't need somebody on the dock untying it. I can have somebody on the boat, and you cast that line off and say, I release what enemy you have plotted against me to hold me here in this place. And the boat will sail free. And that person never had to get on that dock. Because a lot of times, you going back and confronting, you going back and dealing with, you going back and trying to resolve what's happened, will leave with greater offense. So I don't advise people to do that unless the Lord tells them to. I say get healed first. Because you know what broken people do? They break people. You know what healed people do? They heal people. So until you get healed, you don't move on. The greatest story of this I've ever heard is Joyce Myers. For 18 years, her daddy sexually abused her in every possible way. 18 years and told him this is normal, this is what families do, but if you ever tell anybody, it'll destroy us. And for 18 years, so for 18 years, she endured it until she moved out of the house and she thought, I'll get past it. But you don't get past it. That's still there, unless it's dealt with. And so for 18 years, she suffered from depression. She suffered from hurt. She suffered with all of this stuff until she moved to a place where she got saved. And when she got saved, she said, I don't want to just be saved and messed up. I want to get free too. And so she started understanding that I'm going to need to give this to God. Now God, at that point, she felt her dad went into the hospital. She felt like, you know, before he dies, I need to go make this right. So she went to the hospital. And apologized. I know she walked in and said, Dad, I want you to know I forgive you for all those years that you've done things to me. And her dad looked at her and said, I don't know what you think I did to you, but if you need to hear me say I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
And she walked out of that hospital wounded even deeper. Because now she's got somebody trying to apologize by denying the fact that it even happened. I'm going to be honest with you, that's what narcissists do. And when you've been hurt by a narcissist, it's there. And if you get close to them, they're going to hurt you more. There's some people you need to stay away from. When you forgive somebody, it don't mean you have to go to their house. It don't mean you've got to be their best friend. No, you forgive them and get free. don't mean you go back and be around them. Don't let them slap you again. The Bible says if it would slap you, turn the other cheek. But it didn't say you didn't walk away. I'm going to walk away from you. I've got to be honest with you. Because um, if I stay too long, I'm going to end up messing up. <laughs> I'll punch you back, all right? But the, this is the thing. Um, but then Joyce spent several more years getting free. And then her dad went into hospice to die. He had nobody to burn every bridge in his life. And the Lord told her to go get him and bring him home and take care of him. She told her husband. He advised against it. She said, no, God told me to do this. So she went and got him, brought him home, and had to bathe him and feed him and care for him. She walked in the room one day and tears were just welling out of his face. He was so broken. He said, I've been so broken my whole life. He said, I, I, I know I hurt you and I'm so sorry for everyone. That I'm sorry for living a life of denial. I'm sorry. He just repented for it. And she got to lead him to the Lord that day. And he's in heaven now before he died. He got saved. But that took a powerful woman of God like Joyce Myers. She, she's not like everybody. So until you get that strong, you don't have to go confront. You don't have to go and encounter. But you can cast it over to God and say, God, this is what's been done. And I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to entrust you to judge it justly. And then you're free. And you can move on. And when the devil comes up and says, hey, but remember when? Hey, I, I gave that to God. And I'm moving on. Hey, but remember he said, I gave that to God. And God's going to take care of it. And you got to know something. Nobody gets away with anything when it comes to God. You say, well, he had God hadn't done anything yet. To me either. He's still giving me grace. But there is a day that we're going to stand at the throne of judgment. That's what the Bible says. Nobody gets away with nothing. And God is the judge that judges justly. It says that if you can entrust it to him. So from now on, this year, you're going to make the decision. I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to forgive him. I'm not going to let this hold me here anymore. Because God's got great things for me this year. God's got great things for you this year. And you may be facing lion's dens this year, plots that the enemy lays before you. But God has a plan every time the devil has a plot. And just like God's plan for Daniel was to turn a nation and have wise men seek Jesus, God's got a plan that whatever you face this year, you're going to walk through. And it's going to be for your good and for the glory of God. Amen? Greatest year we've ever lived. But you're going to have to make some decisions. So I want to pray with you real quick. If you're here today and maybe you've never made the decision for Jesus to be your Lord. That's where it starts. Put God first. If you're here you say, Cricket, I need to get right with the Lord. Just simply raise your hand. We're going to pray quickly and we're going to be done. Alright? If you're here this morning you say, Cricket, you know, I, I, got, I know I've got some th- trash in my head. And I'm tired of fighting the monsters. They keep coming after it. I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray that God will begin to pour hope on you. That He says He's the God of hope that fills you full of joy and peace. So Father God, I pray everyone that raised their hands and they got trash in their head, I ask you right now that you would take the power of your word and you begin to wash over their souls. 
you'd begin to reveal every lie that the enemy has placed on the inside of them. And right now, God, by the power of your word, you're causing change. You're causing them to see that this is not from God. So I'm going to, as I'm going to put into practice what God says about me and not what I've been thinking my entire life. I thank you, Lord, that you're renewing my mind. I thank that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you that I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am the apple of your eye. This morning I was in my prayer time. And I was like, Lord, I need you to tell me something different than what I'm thinking. Because I wasn't thinking real good today. And when I asked God that, He did. I wanted to ask you to do the same thing. I you go to say, God, would you tell me something that I can replace a lie with in my life? Give me a word right now. God, what do you think about me? Now listen. Did anybody get a word? Can I tell you what mine was this morning? I said, God, what do you think about me? And he said this. Give me a simple He said, you're mine. And when he said that, you can't imagine the joy that ran in. Because it fixed everything. Everything I was thinking, everything I was feeling, everything I was dealing with. That one lie, I was thinking this lie. And when he, I didn't know what he was going to say, but I said, God, what do you think about me? And he said, I think you're mine. Boom. It was gone. What did God just speak to you? You've got to replace the thoughts. Renew your mind. You've got to speak life. And so... Every time I feel that today, I'm going to say, I'm God. You know what he told me? He told me I'm his. It don't matter what you think. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You got to say it. Now, here's an enduring prophecy right now. In Joel chapter 3, verse 10. What an enduring prophecy is, is it didn't just happen in history. God prophesied it, and it lasts forever. It continues to every generation upon every generation. There, there are a lot of prophecies in the Bible that weren't not enduring. It's like when Jesus and where he was going to be born. That was not that was a one-time event. This is an enduring prophecy for every generation. It said this, take your plowshares and beat them into swords. It says, this is what God's telling us to do. He says, and let the weak say, I am strong. You say, Cricket, I don't feel full of joy. Start saying it. Cricket, I don't feel delivered and set free. Start saying it. You say, well, Cricket, I'm not going to lie. I want to be real. You're going to be real negative. Start speaking life. God has set me free. God has delivered me. God, has, And you'll begin to say, and then you start asking the Lord, God, is there anyone in my life that has tied me to a post in offense? God, I release them into your hands right now. I forgive them and I hand them over to you. I forgive them and I hand them over to you. And God's going to begin to do an amazing thing in your life. God's going to begin to... You take these steps and God begins to take the steps that you can't take. And I know this. He's the God of hope. He can fill you full of joy and peace. So I pray this over you right now. May God bless you. May God keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. And may He give you peace in Jesus' name.